Kia ora, g'day and welcome to the history of Aotearoa, New Zealand. Episode 79, Scarfy Flats with Sarah Gallagher. This podcast is supported by our amazing patrons. If you want to support Hans, go to patreon.com slash history Aotearoa. This episode, we are taking a quick break from Māori games to cover something a bit more recent and a bit more obscure in New Zealand's social history. Sarah Gallagher has spent a good number of years researching the phenomena of university students naming flats in Dunedin. For those of you outside New Zealand, to translate, I'm talking about University of Otago students naming the houses they live in, what we call flats. Being a former student of Otago myself, known as a scarfy on account of how cold it is in Dunners, this was something that was very normal to me during my time in Dunedin. Every day I would walk past flats like How Bazaar, a flat on Howe Street, Pussy Planet, an all-girls flat, and The Country Club, spelt without the O. So when I found Sarah's book, called Scarfy Flats of Dunedin, I was absolutely enthralled, and as you'll hear in the coming episode, I adored it. Naturally, I asked if Sarah would like to come on to Hans and share some of the stories and insights from this fantastic book, all about Scarfy Flats and Dunedin student culture. Before we start though, just a little warning. In this episode, there is some rude language, including some discussion of sexual themes, on account of some flats having rather colourful names, and we do lightly touch on those in relation to sexual assault. So if those things aren't your cup of tea, maybe give this one a miss, and definitely don't listen to this one with the kids. For everyone else, I hope you enjoy and learn something new. Cool. Oh, well, first thing, um, obviously, thank you very much for um, coming on to chat with me about um, what I think is actually the my favorite book in my collection of books uh, that I have accumulated over my time doing this podcast for uh, about three years now. Wow. Yeah, I, I, I chewed through it. Uh, I read it in like two weeks or something, I think. Yeah. Um, it, which is... Um, yeah, which was yeah, I I loved it. Oh, thank um, you. I it is it, admittedly I'm slightly biased because I am right in the intersection of like the exact demographic of people you were pr- probably trying to to target. Yeah, uh, <laughs> being a history nerd and um, having gone to University of Otago mm-hmm. myself and lived in flats and um, see you know seen a lot of the flats that were in that um, in that book. Yeah. So for me, it was a big like oh this is this is right like this is right on my very niche interests oh that's that's (laughs) awesome yeah um so yeah so thank you very much for coming on um to chat about it and that sort of thing um so I guess to start with can you tell us a bit about uh, yourself and kind of how you became interested in the history of Dunedin and student flats in particular yep for sure okay I uh well I grew up in Christchurch I came down to Dunedin to go to teachers college in university and I lived, I never went into a hall, and uh, I'm the first in my family to go to university, so this whole thing was so new to me. I had no idea. None of my family could advise me. Um, yeah, so I went into a, into a flat with a friend of mine, um, and uh, yeah, ended up doing teacher's, coll- doing teacher's college, 
for a couple of years, dropped out, finished my degree, ended up doing a master's in classics, and then got a job at the university library and started doing a master's in library and information studies. And it was during that that I um, sort of came across ephemera as a print culture item. And we had this assignment where we needed to um, basically do an exhibition that taught the public about ephemera. And I realized, I had this epiphany one day that I was living in this really interesting landscape where there were these excellent examples of print culture, which were this named flats that students mm. um, students create. And so, you know, we did this, it was a joint exhibition, uh, a, joint, a joint project with um, two of my student colleagues, but I, ended, I did the on the ground field work and collect, collected all the names and everything. And um, yeah, and it just continued. And anyway, my in terms of my career, I ended up being an academic librarian. And I worked in the information industry, you know, in various different fields, tertiary, public sector, overseas, here in New Zealand, for, you know, about 20 years. And, uh, and I'm currently a heritage advisor based here in Dunedin at the moment. So I don't work for the university anymore. Um, but obviously, this project has been an ongoing passion and interest for, you know, 20, just over 20 years now. Nice. Yeah. Cool. So it's a, definitely a, a long term. <laughs> definitely. I call it, yeah, it's, it's a longitudinal study. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's yeah. not many of those around, so um. no, no, and they, and they generally, you know, they generally have a lot of funding and a lot of staff, and they're very yeah. rigorous. And yeah, mine's mine's uh, very amateur. Yeah, yeah. As someone also doing an amateur history project, basically do it all on his own. Mm. Uh, I definitely understand where you're coming yeah. from. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, absolutely. Mm. Um, so in terms of um, kind of I guess student flats in particular, um, do you want to tell us a bit about? Uh, I guess we could call the stereotype of the Dunedin flat. Um, Cause I guess for, I, I guess it is very similar in a lot of universities, but Dunedin is very well known for its, uh, I guess, style mm. of flats and it has a particular reputation for its flats. So do you want to tell us a bit about kind of that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think what Dunedin has, which is really unique in New Zealand at least, is that we have a residential campus so that means, you know, you've got the university and then the area surrounding that is basically a residential area that a lot of students live in. And it didn't always used to be that way. It's developed over time and it's certainly um, become more intensified as a residential area for students as people began to earn more money and they looked to buy property as investments and then they would rent those out to students. And, you know, Back in the, oh, what was it, 80s, 90s, there was a, a boom in population at the university, and so more people were needing places to stay. So this all kind of happened at a similar time. I mean, when I was a student in 1991, living in Mouse House on Cumberland Street, there were still families and elderly people living on Castle Street, along with all the students. Not so much anymore. Mm. And, um, you know, it's, it's really easy to see that when you look at statistics, New Zealand data, what the demographic of students are. It's like 98% living in those area units. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I still distinctly remember how blown away I was walking around and just seeing people my own age, you know, in this small area 
that was all you would see. Yeah. So I think that is the, getting back to your original question, that is sort of the defining difference between Dunedin as a um, as a place to flat compared with other parts of the country. There's, it's a big area, and within it also, um, it used to be, I don't know if it still holds this record, but it was the largest concentration of Edwardian and Victorian houses in the country. And so yeah. you have a specific feel, a character, a streetscape, a yeah. vibe, you know. Y- and yeah, so, definitely. And, yeah, and that's what, you know, people want to have that experience of living in this type of housing. So back in the day, of course, prior to the new housing regs, um, there was kind of, you know, you could expect to live uh, in, a, in an environment that was maybe different to what you lived at at home, you know. Most people yep. would, you know, be living in a place that was fairly warm, probably you know, reasonably well decorated. Um, Some of these little places weren't. Um, And, I mean, despite even in the 90s when, um, I mean, the flat that I lived in, you know, there were holes in the floor covered up with vinyl. Um, But, you know, I contacted, I was in contact with people that were flatting there in the 1970s and there were holes in the floor that were just massive holes in the floor that they had to navigate around. So Mm. I don't think that there are probably terribly many people that are in that situation now, but the general uh, impression of people around the country has for a long time been that if you go to Dunedin, you're going to be living in a cold, shitty flat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That a, character, was, um, a character flat, you know. A character, yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, character as in the flat's got character and it, it'll give you some character as well, I think. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> a uh, a character building experience. Yeah, exactly. Yes, yeah. Yeah, and that was one of the one of the things I f- was quite interesting for me was um, reading the ones on, yeah, you know, you talk about like the 1970s and that sort of stuff. Mm. And it was just, it was kind of the same vibe. Mm. Like it's it's that's what fifty ish years ago now, mm. and that was the same vibe as when I went to uni uh, seven ish years ago, right? You know, yeah. and I was like, huh, yeah, it's just kind of never changed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you know, there's always going to be, um, you know, landlords that I guess may be able to wriggle their way around some of the regs. Mm. Um, hopefully, that's changing. I mean, nobody wants to be living in an unhealthy home. Yeah. Um, you still want to have a good experience. Yeah, it's definitely that. Um, yeah, I, I should preface this by saying I don't want people to live in unhealthy homes as well. Mm. But there is this kind of, um, I don't know, just kind of like this, This, I, I guess for me, it's kind of like, on the one hand, absolutely, we should be improving the, the housing stock of New Zealand in general, mm. um, because it's pretty shocking yeah. uh, in, in general. But also like, that was kind of an a good a kind of a part of the experience of at least when I went to Dunedin was mm. was living in a my flat in general was actually fine it mm. was just really cold yeah <laughs> so yeah. you know that kind of thing was I don't know it was it was kind of part of the experience and although yeah again on the one hand don't think people should really have to experience that but on yeah. the other hand that is a f- fairly fond memory for me at least mm. um you know having arguments over the, whether to turn the heat pump on and that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, unless you had a heat pump, you know. You can That's true. Yeah, I did on. have a heat pump. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, things like clear drains. I'm just going to put in a little plug here for actually managing buildings. Uh, clear drains, clean gutters, good roofs, insulation. Yep. 
all of that kind of stuff is actually going to help you maintain your building. And uh, yep. and that's something we really want people to do too, is to, mm. um, you know, the um, the greenest building is one that is, you know, repaired and restored, not knocked down and concrete tilt slab put up. Um, yep. You know, you don't have to provide a good environment by knocking down a, a house with good bones. Yeah, mm. absolutely. So, yeah, so can you explain a bit, I guess, about the concept of kind of naming flats? Mm. Um, Because I don't actually know if it's, uh, at least from people that I know who went to like Vic or um, Auckland, Mm. it's not really a thing there from what I understand. So can you tell us a bit about kind of what it actually is and and the whole kind of Mm. thing around it? Yeah, yeah. So um, I heard these are theories. Okay, these are my theories. Um, The... So something that we've noticed here in New Zealand um, is, you know, part of the work that I do and also through researching these flats was that when um, when the settlers first came out here and people started building houses, they would give them names. Back in history as well, places tended to be named or have hanging signs to identify them in villages. It wasn't until, I think, was it the... 1600s or something maybe in the UK where street numbers came in mm-hmm. and so you know I don't know if you ever you probably never read Millie Molly Mandy <laughs> I'm afraid I haven't but it's one of these fabulous books that's got a map in it at the front and you know Millie Molly Mandy's house is the little white cottage with a thatched roof so you know we we build up a language to um find our way around our communities and you know people would name their houses or you'd get to know that you know that's the um you know the little white cottage with a thatched roof or whatever but when when settlers came over to new zealand there are a couple of main ways in which they would name their houses they would name their house after the place they came from or they would adopt a suitable maori name yep and there's actually a list of suitable maori names that i've come across in um, hokan archives uh, which describes, you know, different kinds of houses or views from that house. For example, yeah. there's um, a place called Monono. Uh, yeah, if you look on the heritage list, you'll you'll see quite a few. Uh, so that so that's really interesting. So there is a, I think too, there is, you know, an impression that houses with names have a certain cachet about them. Hmm. Um. Sorry, I was just gonna. I was just looking briefly. Um, I've got a um, a Spates book next to me here because um, I've been researching Spates recently, and oh, that okay. was something that came up quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Was um, the founders of Spates all had named uh, houses, right. and the most recent one I read was Charles Spates's house, which was um, uh, Hayata. Um, oh, okay. That was the name of his house. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, that, I guess that was a an appropriate Māori name. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure what that translates as, but yes, it, mm. yeah. Yeah, often the, it, will, it will, you know, maybe refer to the view. Yeah, so the cachet of having a name makes it sound fancy. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I think we have a tendency to um, name things that we really care about. And uh, I don't know if you ever named your bike or your first car or your first computer disc. I named my first computer disc. <laughs> yeah, my computer that this is running on is is named. Uh, my All my cars have been named. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, so you get what I mean. Um, yeah. And for students leaving home for the first time, having their very first home, while they don't own that home, 
they're making it their home. Yeah. And um, and particularly in Dunedin, we're going back to this idea of this residential um, residential university where you've got this village, if you like. If you think of the university as the castle and all of the um, all of the villages are living around it in their little houses. Um, you know, there's this there's this community of people that are naming places. And so because, you know, the generation of a student is basically about three years, usually three to four years, got quite a high turnover of people coming through, seeing some names, some flats being named. And I certainly noticed that there are streets and it has changed a little bit over time. But um, once you get a couple of named places on a street, others will pop up okay. as well. Interesting. Yeah. So how street... Clyde Street, there used to be a whole row of named yeah. houses. Powell mm-hmm. Street's got quite a few now. Leith Street, yeah. Hyde Street, obviously. Yeah, yeah. famous one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. No, it was, that was, um, yeah, that's interesting. I guess everyone wants to, to get in on the action. I guess once once one crops up, everyone kind of gets maybe a, the same sort of idea, like, oh, mm. maybe we you know, should join up and, I guess, bouncing ideas off. Yeah, you know the neighbours and, and that sort of thing is probably what ends up happening. Yeah, well, I mean, in, in my experience of being a student, that was certain. I remember us, you know, discussing it as a flat and saying, "Oh, oh, we should name our flat." And sometimes mm. it worked, and sometimes it didn't. Sometimes you just couldn't actually come up with something. Everyone, I don't know, didn't really stick. Yeah, I guess mm. some are, are catchier, uh, have a bit more of a, a more compelling theme, maybe. Yeah, that yeah. That kind of stuff. That's yeah. right. It might depend on a group of people. And mm. I know that there are plenty. I mean, I've only collected names that I've found evidence for, where people have told me about them or I've seen them or I've seen them recorded somewhere else. But yeah. I know that there's a, you know, a big collection of names out there that there was never any, um, you know, people didn't actually create a sign or they had a sign yeah. that was kept inside the flat. Yeah, and then I guess there's also that, um, I guess that co- I, that sort of collection of um, like names that just specific groups of people would give a flat. They they just use to reference, mm. you know, oh, it's that it's that brick flat on the corner that's always got the smokers outside of it or whatever. Yeah, yeah, know, and, that, and that kind of thing. Like people just referencing flats. Um, Mm. kind of in that way as well and, and the names kind of developing from that just in specific friend groups yes and that sort of thing so there's probably yeah. a lot of names out there that are just used by a very specific group of people to reference particular buildings and they just never get further than that because mm. it's only specific to them as and well they probably haven't made it into my database yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i guess uh, the, the next question is do we kind of know when this tradition of flatting started um, because there was a point where people didn't tend to flat with people who were not related or live with people who weren't related to them. Mm. Um, and then I guess at some point there was. Yeah. So do we know kind of when that point was? Yeah, well, from what I've discovered so far, um, it was the 1930s. So, um, I mean, you and I have both grown up in a time that's, you know, um, fairly equal in terms of you know mm. how how we live and who we can live with and uh that there aren't these sort of strictures of society that mm. you know we're around you know even when you know my parents who aren't actually that old you know they're like my mum isn't even 70 yet um mm. you know that they grew up with where you know 
like it wouldn't have been acceptable for my mum and dad to live together until they were married yeah. and they didn't yeah yeah so um and well they got married in 1971. so back in the 30s remember there was a depression on between the two big wars and um there was an influx of people going into training is is what usually happens when there's a recession or people are losing jobs because mm -hmm. people want to retrain and at the time there were only four halls of residence mm -hmm. at the university and it, you know it cost it cost a bit to stay in the halls as it yep. is today <laughs> yeah as, yeah it does still, you know, still cost quite a lot <laughs> yeah some things haven't changed um it wasn't flatting wasn't a thing then um the other places that you could stay if you couldn't stay at home were boarding houses so typically it would be a big house the owner would would be there and they would rent out rooms so it's like kind of like flatting but kind not of like quite. flatting almost more like studio flats i guess yeah right yeah um and i i haven't I haven't kind of gone down that route too far in terms of yeah. investigating, you know, what life was like there, whether you would, you know, there might be two of you in a room or whether yeah. it was just a single room situation. But um, from from what I have read, and this is largely from student magazines, so bearing this with a pinch of salt, yeah. um, you know, landladies could be quite bossy, expect you home at a certain time, you know, yeah. so your life wasn't really particular maybe as free as young people their age would have liked. Yeah, but it was still quite, I guess, not as independent, I guess, as what you'd say flatting is kind of nowadays. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. So um, the batch, which was a flat, the first flat that um, I've come across that has been documented, it still exists as a building. It's yep. still a student flat. It's on Leith Street. Mm -hmm. um so the south end past the university and that was set up was deliberately set up as a flat by a group of students who are largely uh divinity students mm. so um for those that aren't familiar with that term that's uh students that are studying theology but particularly to go into um into you know practice as a minister as a presbyterian yep. minister so knox college which most people will know of as a hall of residence now was a um a school of theology and um and that was one of the four halls of residence but it was also where the divinity students studied and um so these div students set up the batch and um there were up to I think sometimes there were maybe up to 10 of them. There mm. was a waiting list to get in there. And um, I managed to get in touch with one of the original residents a couple of years before he died. Oh, wow. Yeah, amazing. And um, he um, he sent me a piece of their letterhead. So this is, um, you know, it's like monogrammed paper for mm. writing letters on. For, um, they had their own motto. And they had their mm -hmm. own special crest as well. Yeah. Yeah. So what just um what was the motto? Because I thought it was quite funny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it was in Greek because yeah. they're a divinity students. So, you know, they learned they had to be able to read the Bible in various languages, ancient, you know, yep. Greek and, and Latin. And um it was because of poverty. That was what it translated as. And their crest had like an open book 
and a broom and a fry pan and a rolling pin on it. Yeah, which I thought was very, I don't know, it felt very, to me, it felt very right that the probably the first proper flat in Dunedin had the motto of because of poverty. Yeah. That, that seemed to me like that's very appropriate, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, I, it's, yeah, I find it really touching as well. Mm. I mean, it's funny, but it's also really touching because yeah. it's like, um, and of course these students, these Christian students, you know, were coming under fire from other students at university. Uh, I'm not talking about these students from that flat, but just, you know, mm. Christian students as a whole as yep. being quite conservative, but actually... They're really quite progressive. You know, yeah. they found a solution to come together and work together to rent a flat, run a household in order that they could meet their goals, which was to become yeah. educated. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, it shows a huge, you know, social conscience, um, you know, which is a, is a tenant of the religion. But, yeah, yeah. Mm. So, yeah, really cool. And, you know, they created a community, they created a family, and they had all of these accoutrements as well, you know, mm. as well as having letterhead. Um, they had um, they had their own mortar for graduations. They had a visitor's book and a photograph album and mm -hmm. prayers at night. And That was yeah. the one that got me that I thought was very funny. You mm. mentioned in the book that they had a list of, um, you know, like, jobs that everyone have to do and i was like yeah, yeah I've, I've lived in a flat where you have like a spinner or something or you have like a you make a little fancy thing and yeah put names beside of who's doing what every week yeah yeah and i went you know you you list out you know they had the rubbish and the cooking i say like, yeah it makes sense yeah also prayers in the evening and i was yeah. like that's pretty funny yeah that didn't happen in any of my flats <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure it happens in some flats but yeah yeah, yeah. i imagine the majority of flats probably don't yeah. yeah, I just thought that was yeah. that was kind of an interesting one. To yeah, me. did you have a housekeeper though? I did not. No. Not for ninety dollars a week. I didn't. Hell no. no. <laughs> Gosh, ninety dollars—that's pretty cheap, isn't it? That's what I thought. I my flat that I stayed in for the majority of my time at uni was one hundred and ten a week. Um, so I was very close to the union. Mm -hmm. So yeah, when again reading the book and it said ninety dollars a week and you get a housekeeper i was like shit that's cheap yeah, I reckon. <laughs> especially comparing it to um one of my other mates had a ninety dollar a week flat mm. and it was my god it is one of the worst flats i have ever seen mm. that the windowsills were like rotting because they were soaked and yeah. it just smelled like mold the whole oh. time and i was so mm. dead. A true, a true Dunedin flat that one for mm. for twenty dollars less than what I was paying, which I, which is quite a drastic change. That's shocking. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, so that was that was a really interesting one to me was how much that they were paying per week and got a housekeeper, which was pretty um, a pretty good deal. Yeah, yeah. So we we did kind of or you did kind of mention that um, a ninety eight percent of the student population lives kind of within that North Dunedin area, mm. um, which kind of i guess as a byproduct means that most of the named flats are in that area as well do we see any notable named flats kind of outside that kind of north dunedin-ish area oh right yeah so i was thinking about this and oh yeah now that 98 percent i'll just clarify that mm -hmm. so that is the about 98 percent of the people living in that area 
of sort of fit within the student demographic. I see. Yes. Yep. So not ninety eight percent of enrolled yeah, students. students. Live there. Yeah, I see. yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's yep. just the yeah. So I've looked at the age ranges of people mm-hmm. that live in the um, in the main flatting area where the yep. named flats show up. Have you looked at my flats map? Because that kind of um, gives you a good. It's idea. been a while. If yeah. I'm honest. <laughs> yeah. Well, it doesn't really change. It just gets denser. You know, it doesn't tend to spread out that much. But yeah, yep. in terms of um, like the immediate North Dunedin area, there are a few. There's nothing. There's there are none hugely notable. I mean, the main one that I was going to mention really was the shit show chateau, mm. um, which probably falls that will fall outside the sort of stats New Zealand area unit of North Dunedin. Yeah. yeah. And, um, yeah, there's a story about that in the book, as you've mentioned. Yeah. Well, I, since we're on that, um, one of my questions kind of did revolve around kind of the shit show chateau because it is a interesting story of a student-led venture to actually improve a flat, um, mm. which is unusual and um, doesn't happen very often. Um, so I guess, do you, yeah, do you want to tell a bit about kind of that story and kind of um, what other efforts have been made to improve flats in Dunedin? Yeah, well, I guess, I mean, this one was interesting. It, it, um, they were looking at starting up a Rate Your Flat um, online system where mm. students could rate their flat and then that would help other students in the following years find a decent flat, you know, a flat that mm. wasn't completely crappy. They deliberately went out to try and the to try and find the worst flat in Dunedin, and negotiate a deal with the landlord to be supplied with materials, but to do the work themselves to do the flat up and make it more habitable and you know healthier and safer to live in. So yeah. it was a I think the main student who was involved I think she was a science communication student. So this was a um, it was a really awesome project actually. It was very yeah. very cool. It, they did encounter quite a few problems. The house was not in good shape. and um, But they had good media around it. They raised a lot of awareness around it. And, and it sort of, um, it really highlighted the situation that some students live in. Mm. And it highlighted the really bad state of some houses in the rental market. Mm. Yeah, definitely. It's, um, mm-hmm. yeah, as I said, I've seen some pretty crap ones yeah. <laughs> when I was Have you ever seen well. a loo that bad, though? No, admittedly, yeah. I have not. I did see a knife and a, um, a butter knife sitting on the floor of a toilet of a flat that I did look at once, oh, um, yeah. which was we were all a bit weirded out why that was there and mm. uh, not picked up. But, yeah, not yeah. quite as bad as that one that is shown in the book. That was shocking, to yes. say the least. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that was a that was a yeah. I th- thought that was quite an interesting story because um, I guess not a lot of students would have that kind of uh, motivation to 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 improve their flat. Yeah, um, that's right. Yes, yeah. I think they were part of the carbon zero movement. Yes, as well. yeah. You did yeah. mention they were part of that as well. Yeah. Yeah. So there was sort of you know environmental motivations as well as um, yeah, and and no, you know, yeah, environmental motivations as well. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Yeah, as you say, a, a house that actually is insulated properly and that mm. sort of thing uses the power and, and that kind of stuff. So there was that kind of, yeah, yeah that sort of thing going on as well. Mm. So kind of, I guess, kind of in the same vein, there's a lot of really, um, really great small stories that I found in the book mm-hmm. of just 
student life in general um just that have a lot of um yeah a lot of humor a lot of kiwi ingenuity uh kiwi ingenuity even um and sometimes just like really gross yeah uh, stuff like the shit show chateau um yeah and a lot of that is spurred on because of that again because students tend to live a fairly frugal lifestyle if mm. you want to put it diplomatically yeah um is there any sort of story that is your favorite or really sticks out to you um in particular there's a couple from scribes which mm -hmm. i don't know do you remember scribes bookshop I do remember Scribe's Bookshop. I was very sad to hear that it closed down. Well, it's not only closed down, it's now gone. The, the whole building? Yeah, yeah. <gasps> yes. So that is sad. It lives on in this book, however. Mm -hmm. yeah. And um, it was a notorious flat for quite some time. And there's lots of, you know, small delicious stories that have come. Yeah, that was, sorry, just to clarify, that was the miner's flat. That, that was right? the miner's flat, yes. Yeah. So the university had a world-class school of mines. Mm. Um, so mining was um, mining studies was one of the early subjects taught at the University of Otago. And uh, we exported students all around the world who, and um, gained a really great reputation for our mining students. And anyway, there was one particular student who um, he brought back some um, explosives wire from a you know, he'd been working up in Nelson, I think, over the summer mm. holidays and brought back some explosives wire with him and used it to hang his curtains. And they were these were the, the same students who, you know, used to get their girlfriends who were resident at St Margaret's College to um, smuggle their sheets and get washed by, by the hall and, you know, yep. all of these kinds of things. Um, you know, trying to keep people out of their parties by putting Vaseline over the over the guttering so that people couldn't climb yeah. up drain pipes and having the police come and knock on the door and join them for beers and growing yeah. massive fungus out of their bathroom, you know, all over the the uh, landing at the top of the stairs. You know? Yeah. So things like that. They're amusing. Um, you probably wouldn't want to live that way, though. <laughs> <laughs> no, not, uh, there was an interesting, there was an interesting bit in the book though, where, um, I can't quite remember who wrote it, but they were saying how it was, I think it was the stuff on Hyde street even was all about kind of, um, for, it, it was something everyone understood. It was something that you did for two years that you, you lived in absolute squalor. Mm. Um, you wrecked the place. You probably took a few years off your life as well. Um, yeah. but you went and did it for a couple of years to kind of, you know this is the thing we do yeah and then we'll become normal people and productive members of society after that <laughs> yeah that was joel mcmanus and he's now a reporter for stuff yes yes yeah. so there yeah. you go you see he did manage he did manage to come out the other side largely on stage yeah exactly <laughs> go joel. Yeah. but it was it was yeah. that kind of uh that uh, endearing kind of attitude that it's like yeah you know we'll do we'll go through some mm -hmm. dumb stuff while we're kind of 20 years old and then after that we'll go and be yeah and get a job and yeah it's that memory it's that memory making stuff isn't it yeah yeah and that was that that particular flat that miners flat uh struck me quite a lot as well because there's a line in there from one of the previous tenants where he talks about how um he remembers all these things about in the flat you know all these things that he did but he doesn't remember the last time he mm -hmm. descended the stairs and got into the taxi that would take him to the airport to go wherever yeah. he'd gotten his job and that kind of resonated mm -hmm. with me a little bit because i was like yeah i don't remember the last time i left my mm -hmm. flat either um 
And I don't know, that just yes. yeah, was kind of poignant. Yeah, definitely. To me a bit. It's a very special time. Yeah. And I mean, that's something I've noticed yeah. too through this research is, um, you know, talking with students that are living in their flats in Dunedin at the time, they often don't have a lot to say about why they've named their flat and what it means to them. But later, you know, with um, the benefit of some years under your belt and a bit more experience and yeah. um, time and space, you know, you look back and it's that then is then that all of that stuff starts to have meaning and makes you realise how much it um, had an impact on building you as the person that you are. Yeah, absolutely. I, one of the one of the phrases I've heard in the past is uh, kind of type two fun, which is it's not necessarily fun at the time, but when you look back on it, it's very fun. Um, which I think is is kind of fits this quite a lot. There are aspects of there are obviously aspects of being a student that mm. are very fun at the time, but there's a lot that are not very fun at all, like living in a very yeah, cold flat, yeah. for example. But you look back on it, you know, a few years, even if just mm. like one or two years later, and you go, yeah, no, that was actually yeah. Right. Like, that, that's sort of synonymous with character building. I get yeah that mm. that kind of thing as well. Yeah that um, yeah kind of again yeah mm. kind of makes you who you are, builds your character, mm. that kind of thing yeah. as well. Yeah. Absolutely. Going into more, I guess, the, the, the actual what the research mm. involved for this. Um, the, how did you actually manage to find all these people? <laughs> because cause as I was reading the book, I'm going, oh, there's, you know, you've, you've managed to get in contact with um, previous tenants, um, which I'm sure did not leave their phone number on the wall um, for you to find. So I guess, you know, and some of these are, are decades old. You know, some of these people... They you've, they flatted um, in those flats, uh, you know, 40, mm-hmm. 50 years ago. So how did how, I guess how was that experience? How did you manage to find them? Yeah, well, um, it was largely pure luck and serendipity and uh, Facebook. But prior to Facebook, um, so this is how it all kind of mm. became a thing. Actually, Thomas, it was um, you know we. We've done the project. I keep collecting things. I keep taking photos whenever I came back to Dunedin. Mm-hmm. And um, and then when Facebook, actually, was, first of all, it was Flickr. Flickr became a thing. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, I'm going to put my collection of photos up on Flickr. Because, you know, I've always taken loads of photos. And we'd been, my husband and I had been overseas and we'd posted photos up there so mm-hmm. friends and family could see them. And so I created a Dunedin Flat Names group and posted my photos in there and people started connecting with them. And sometimes it was people that had lived in those flats, like DSIR. I think there's a story about that, which is an awesome story. Um, And then Facebook happened. And so I did the same thing. I transferred all my photos there. And then every time I took new photos, I put them up and people connected with them. And so it was largely through that community that I was able to find people. Yep. But also, importantly, um, I was asked to do an exhibition of photos at Art Week at university, mm-hmm. and um, and then that was covered in a few publications. It was in the university magazine. And one of the original um, residents of the batch mm-hmm. got in touch with me through the editor of that magazine. Oh, wow. And so I caught up with him. And he put me on to Fergus, mm-hmm. 
who gave who sent me a letter I wrote Fergus a letter and Fergus wrote me back and sent me a piece of that letterhead so a lot of it was some of it was serendipitous yeah. uh, some of it was through Facebook a lot of it was through having good media coverage yeah. as well yeah so I was really fortunate that um, it was something that the local media and, and um, at times national media have been quite interested in. And then that would often prompt people to get in contact. Yeah. And I've just had to have, um, because, you know, you can't go to a, well, you can now because, you know, the book's out, but there hadn't been anything done on anything like this before. Mm. So it was um, reading memoirs and looking at bibliographies and reading through indexes and mm. of books and um you know to actually find that primary or secondary material but in terms of the people yeah it was definitely with the help of you know media coverage in facebook and yeah so using those new technologies and as a librarian learning to use those new technologies was uh, this was great project for me to try testing all of these things out out on yeah so do you think um had things like facebook and that sort of stuff not eventuated or eventuated later than they had do you mm. think that this project and the book itself would have been quite as possible as it perhaps did end up being well it, it um i think it would have been very difficult mm. i mean it would have relied a lot more on print media you mm. know like maybe having something in you know the university magazine or newsletters or that yeah. sort of thing but yeah i don't you wouldn't get that sort of free flow of information that ease of contacting people that you can through social media yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. i think it's a lot easier for this kind of project as well it's um again it's something that people have fond memories of mm. and i think would be readily uh willing to kind of engage with mm. um so that's quite quite good as well is that people i'm sure are quite willing to offer up that sort of information mm. particularly if it's a really dumb story and they're 30 years removed yeah uh, <laughs> that's so right yeah that probably helps yeah yeah <laughs> so one of the kind of interesting things kind of in the last 10 15 ish years is that the university has been buying up flats themselves the actual university of otago has been purchasing flats and um renting them out to students basically making the university the landlord so has do you think that has changed how flatting and naming flats and flat culture has changed or has it has that changed that mm. sort of aspect of student culture yeah um look i'm not sure about exactly you know what they're property holdings are i know that mm. the university does own some flats i know through are you thinking about the uni flats particularly uni flats is where, yeah what i had in mind yeah yeah, yeah. so they don't own all of those um, okay. they, they manage i know that there's a significant number of them that they manage on behalf of landlords ah, I see. yeah but i have noticed anecdotally that flats with a uni flat sticker on them don't tend to have a named flat sign yeah and i don't know what the situation is now but back when i was doing my research before the book was published um i talked with whoever was the director then and they said they didn't have an explicit policy that flats couldn't have a name but um he 
I remember him saying that the majority of students that were renting those flats tended to be at, at that time, and again, this is pre-COVID, so the world has changed since then, um, they tended to be international students. And so they were here for a short period of time. They were possibly moving in different circles. They maybe weren't, um, you know, sort of as embedded in the student culture as those students who do name their flats. So there's some interesting limitations on, you know, and theories about why or why not uni flats yeah. have a name. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. But that is definitely something that I have noticed over the years that where there are uni flats stickers, there's no name sign yeah and definitely in, again in anecdotal experience is i found as well they tend to be tamer flats compared to some right. other just even not named flats they tend to be a bit tamer and i wonder mm. if that's just because and part of that being um you know and if international students are more um tend to be the ones in there i wonder mm. if it's the draw of that stability of knowing the university is in control of this flat. Could be. There's not going to be any funny business kind of going on here sort of thing. Could be, um, Which yeah. is appealing to probably international students and a certain type of local student, mm. whereas a name flat obviously appeals to an entirely different <laughs> type of student. Well, yeah, yeah, definitely in, definitely in some cases, yeah. So uh, one other thing I did want to talk about was, I guess, uh, your flat that you mentioned was Mouse House. Mm. Um just I guess talking about like a bit about your um how well, how it got its name for starters but I think that might be rather obvious <laughs> um, yeah um and I guess the, yeah what was your experience like in that in that flat yeah well it's uh Mouse House is a uh so it's a it's still there there are four flats it's a, a terrace of weather two-story weatherboard houses on the corner of House Street and Cumberland Street um, I don't know the exact date it was built, but it would be sort of late 19th, early 20th century. Um, and we inherited the sign in the name. And I remember we all thought it was a bit naff and the sign was really crappy. Yeah. And um, we didn't really want to put it up until we started finding all these mice and then it all made sense. And I... Um, I added to the sign. So initially it was just this piece of, you know, that nasty wheat bixy chipboardy stuff. Yeah, MDF. yeah. Is that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think maybe even worse than MDF. It was like right. really, really nasty. Like you put water on it and it turns into wheat bix. Yeah. Yeah. So it was that. And it just had mouse house spray painted on it. And uh, I drew a little I drew a little mouse cartoon on it. And then every time we killed a mouse would sort of chalk up. The got another one yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah and we found mice in all kinds of places it was yeah it was awful and i mean this was my first first flatting experience my friend who i um came down to Dunedin with ended up only lasting two weeks and went back to christchurch and so i ended up flatting with three guys and i was the youngest by like i was a first year and mm. the next youngest after me was a third year and so i was quite out of my depth yeah they were really nice guys and we all got on really well um but you know i couldn't go to the pub because yeah. the drinking age hadn't changed at that point mm -hmm. and uh yeah and it was a very different time to what students experience now um you know it cost money to make a call home to christchurch there were no cell phones and um you know i didn't know anybody here I spent $5 a week on stamps 
when my rent cost $50 a week and I'd write letters and my friends and family would write letters back to me. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's something that, um, I guess even for me, um, it's not really something that is kind of considered now is that prior to the advent of, yeah, cell phones and the internet and that sort Mm -hmm. of stuff, university life in general was uh, quite starkly different and required a lot more, I guess, effort and manual labor. Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of admin. Yeah, and no computers. Mm. I don't think that there were even any, I mean, there might have been computers in labs and things like that, but there weren't banks of computers for students to use. Um, not every student had a laptop like they do now. <laughs> well, no one had a had a yeah. Most people wouldn't have even had a um, wouldn't have had a PC. Yeah. 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 Um, maybe an electric typewriter. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, I was writing all my essays by hand, and yeah, everything was very analog. Most of the names that we've actually mentioned so far have been rather tame. Um, probably the worst one was the shit show chateau, but there's actually a lot of worse ones, and particularly that are quite uh, sexual in nature. Um, mm. Some that I've got here, which are notable examples, which is the cock and swallow, half dozen muff, McTitties, the brothel, the muff in the slut box, thirsty boys, and my personal favourite, which is the greasy beaver lodge, because I used to live a few doors down. So, has there any kind of with that? Has there been any pushback against flat names because? Have it, in particular for Greasy Beaver, it was extremely prominent. Um, it was very obvious on the street. It was. Um, so It was. Yes, and yeah, and for your listeners who aren't familiar with Dunedin, um, it, was, it was on the corner of a sort mm. of a, a residential street which intersects with State Highway yep. 1 heading north. So everyone heading north out of Dunedin would drive yep. past this house. And um, it was sort of a sort of arts and craftsy bungalow style house with a, a porch out the front, which had an arch. And mm. in the arch was inset this sign with the Greasy Beaver Lodge in, in big, very bold, bold black letters. <laughs> very clear, very easy to read. Very clear, very <laughs> easy to read from a distance. Yep. Yeah. The the short answer is yes. There has been some pushback at times over certain flats mm. um, that I've heard of, and there may well be more that I haven't heard of. Mm. Um, I know when I worked at the medical school, one of my colleagues used to work in the um, in a university building beside the Greasy Beaver, mm-hmm. and <clears throat> he told me that one of his colleagues was found it very very upsetting mm. this this name, so. Some people, and this is one of the interesting things about the names, is, you know, they are, um, a lot of them have the intention of being humorous. Mm. And many of them have a double or triple entendre Mm. in there. And when you think about the demographic of people that are creating these, you know, they're young people who have uh, loads of in-jokes and... um, you know, they're wanting to have a good time and that doesn't that doesn't mean that some of these are not going to be, um, you know, clearly upsetting or triggering mm. for some people. In the, I'm just thinking about some of the ones that sound like the cock and swallow, mm. um, that is a good example of a flat that was picking up on something that had happened in society at the time, which was yep. 
the change in drinking age. Mm-hmm. And there were a whole bunch of contemporaneous flats that came out with pub-themed names. So that one is drawing on the tradition of old English pubs that have... Yep. You know, like the the stag and pheasant, for example. Yeah. You know that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So that was that's sort of the underlying uh, part of the name. Mm. Obviously, cock and swallow has got other connotations. Very. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Very <Quite> rude. rude. <laughs> yes. But then you know you look at the image of the sign and it's got a swallow on it and it's got a rooster on it. Yeah. And so you know, of course, you can explain this away. Yeah. <laughs> It's enough. Like, no, we it's just, all know. It's just, it's just animals, so it's yeah, just. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, there's often there's often you know double or triple meanings in the yeah. around those names. Yeah. Yeah, and so do, yeah. do you have you seen? Um, I guess with flats that are kind of being named, um, kind of now, do you mm. see a kind of change in attitudes of kind of what they're naming? Do you see less of these more, uh, I guess, sexually charged ones, given that. You know, there's things like the Me Too movement and that sort of thing. Do yeah. you think that's changed pe- how people view and want to name their flats? Um, well, I think there's there's maybe more blowback against things like that. Mm. Yeah. And there was one recently, which, um, to be honest, because I'm not really in the zeitgeist anymore, mm. being older than, you know, than uh, current students, um, I had to look up Urban Dictionary to figure out what was going on there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's very helpful yep. and illuminating. Um, yeah. yeah, the, oh, yes, yeah, so, I mean, one where the, the name was challenged by the contemporaries of those students as bird watchers. Yeah. And there's, uh, that one's mentioned in the book. Yeah. Um, but that was, that that happened at a time where there were some verbal and physical things that had been reported mm. um, around campus that were of concern to people. And bird watchers was kind of uh, insidious. Yeah. And, I mean, you know, I'm pretty open-minded and most of these I find quite funny. Um, mm. You know, keeping in mind that... You know, meanwhile, knowing that other people may find them, some of them offensive or question them, mm. you know, um, I approach this project as someone who's recording things, yeah, uh, not defending or glorifying them. But I distinctly remember first seeing bird watchers, seeing the sign, and thinking that is going to upset people. Yeah, it definitely, a lot of these straddle quite a fine line. They do. Uh, and I think most flats probably straddle that enough that it's not, again, with Cock and Swallow, it probably straddles that line enough that it doesn't step over it. Yeah. Bird Watchers probably quite clearly steps over it and is a bit more, yeah, as you say, a bit more insidious than most of these other, yeah. other ones. Yeah. That was interesting, though, because, I mean, you think, oh, Bird Watchers, okay, mm. how could that be offensive? But there's a number of things to take into consideration. There was the the way the sign was made. There was where the sign was located. The it was on a two story house directly overlooking the university library and its big glass windows, where students would sit and be looking directly out at this flat. And the sign had um, in the bowls of the bee, it had eyes. Yeah. And so it just looked kind of creepy and threatening. Yeah. 
and people wrote about it in Critic. Yep. And and I guess this is interesting too, you know, there was a back and forth in Critic over a number of weeks between the residents and between the person that was um, that was objecting. Yeah. So, you know, good to see the discourse. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because I think generally people go, oh, it's just students, they're just being silly. You know, but it's like, well, you know, if people feel that they can put that sign, albeit on a private property, but viewable from a public space... Mm. There's something that's, you know, encroaching on people's sense of, you know, being able to be in the environment and feel okay. Um, you know, it's good to be able to debate these things. Yeah, definitely. Um, the only thing I'll say on that is um, the critic, for those who don't know, is the university um, uh, or the student um, magazine. So do you think there's any particular reason that students gravitate towards not just sexual names for their flats, but just sometimes vulgar names in general? Oh, look, honestly, I think a lot of it is just trying to be funny or get a reaction. Um, I would like to qualify, however, because I have analysed all the names Mm. and I've got over 700 in my collection and have sort of classified them according to theme where I've been able to, which is the majority of them. Mm. And the greatest proportion of named flats actually speak to their environment. Okay. So they talk about the state of the flat or the immediate sort of environment. So it might talk, it might be a flat called the hedge because it's got a big hedge or it might be a flat called the jungle. And this is a name that turns up quite a lot mm-hmm. um, because, you know, it's in a very jungly garden yep. or it might be called the palace because it's a real shithole. Yeah. Um, you know, so you've got a lot of names that are, they speak to the environment, but they've got an element of humour or irony or double entendre. Yeah. Um, so that is that is the majority. Second, not sex, okay. popular culture. Ah, interesting. Yeah, yeah. So films, literature, sport, history, yeah. um, all kinds of, you know, references, even wrestling, oh, yeah. gaming. Um, and then sex, drugs, not so much drugs, actually, Mm. mostly sex and alcohol, sex and alcohol. Yeah. But it is, it is not the majority. I think my theory is they're the ones that stick in our minds because they're shocking. You know, it's what we remember. Yeah. Yeah. And like, um, Scott Eady, who, um, he's a, he's a lecturer in sculpture at the Polytech here. He did, he was a Francis Hodgkins fellow, which is a very prestigious fellowship Mm. at the university. He had a fellowship in Dunedin in 2002. And when he arrived, he saw all these rude signs and was completely freaked out and blown away and thought, how do the the population of Dunedin put up with this? This is outrageous and funny. (laughs) (laughs) And he ended up devoting his entire fellowship to creating reproductions of those signs. Yeah. Yeah, including the greasy beaver. Yes, I believe there's a picture of that in the uh, in the book, which I thought was very good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and that piece. So it's a massive fiberglass beaver mm. with a. Um, he made a massive fiberglass had a massive fiberglass beaver made with a big sign with the greasy beaver lodge on it, and that's part of the Hocken collection. Yeah, Hocken collections. Yeah. So you know, and that's something that's really interested me too about um, named flats is how they inspire other artists or creatives mm, amazing it's really it's really interesting yeah that most of them are not rude ones that's um not something i would have yeah. expected as you say i think it's ones that stick in our mind the most because they're the ones you're yeah. most shocked by i guess 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. I mean, it was, yeah, it surprised me too. Um, so how kind of ingrained are these names in student society? So um, do they do they tend to stick around for a long time? Do they, you know, as you say, the, the kind of half-life, mm. if you will, of a student is about three years. Um, mm. Do they tend to stick around longer than that or do they tend to chop and change quite a lot? A lot of them do stick around. Um, and some are very ephemeral. Mm. Um, so, for example... Footrot Flats on Clyde Street has been there since 1975. Yep. It's still there. It's very faint now, and the building's actually owned by Arana Hall. Yep. The other one, the one that's probably the most famous is Pink Flat The Door, mm. which is down on Clyde Street as well, yep. down the other end. It's been there since 1988. There's one up on, uh, actually I can't remember the name of the street. It's up on the hill called the lighthouse oh, and yeah. my mother-in-law who's in her 80s remembers it from when she was at teachers college all right yeah and um yeah so there's there are quite a few around i mean there's some that have been around for you know over 10 years as well yeah mm. so it's not just those really long-lived ones i'm thinking about um the jolly roger on mm-hmm. great king street yep do you remember that one? I do. Again, that's across the road from Greece and Beaver Lodge. So I used to book yeah. all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's flanked by two other named flats at the moment. As oh, well. yeah. So all three of them have got a name for the first oh. time in a long time. Yeah. Neat. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there, there are there are quite a few. Yeah. Mm. And like the um, the ones on Clyde Street. Um, so there was Moe's. Moe's was there for a really long time. But the sign ended up, I remember I was in touch with a student who had just signed the flat. She was really excited to be living in Moe's. And she got in touch and said, oh, look, I'm really bummed out. The sign's been nicked in. It just keeps just keeps being stolen. And so we're not going to bother putting it back up. And mm. it's been without its name ever since. But I understand too, like the whole red card system is, um, I know it's been around for a while now. As far as I was aware, it didn't happen when I was a student. But um, I know that, nicking signs can sometimes be part of that sort of whole thing but from what i understand if i remember rightly in the book mose is still colloquially colloquially known as mose it's just not got the sign anymore it doesn't have the sign yeah Yeah, well i haven't been in touch with um the students that are living Mm. there you know currently uh, recently so yeah i'm not sure Mm. yeah but yeah there used to be a whole row yeah, there was – oh, the Hilton is still there, the mm-hmm. Hilton on Clyde. Yep. There was Tui and Sifter Rosa and Route mm-hmm. 69 and, yeah, yeah, there's a whole bunch of them. Yeah, and there, even, mm-hmm. again, from when I went down in August, um, there was a lot that, I, that was still there from when – that I remembered as well. Um, yeah. Which was kind of nice to see, I guess. Yeah, uh, Nice yeah. to know that they just weren't ripped down by either mm. the landlords or the tenants or nicked from another – um, flat or something like that. It was nice to kind of see that. Hmm. Um, even though some do get stolen, there seems to be some sort of, um, I guess, respect of signs in a way. Um, and I guess there's a weird kind of honour among thieves kind of yes. attitude towards them. In, yeah, in a lot I think of ways. so. Yeah, I think so. And I think too, you know, students want to live somewhere that's got a story. It's part of mm. living in a character house. You know, this yeah. is another layer of that is, um, you know, living somewhere that has got a student history. And I know of, you know, some flats where, I mean, apparently, you know, some some of these flats are collecting more rent. Mm. 
I know of one that, you know, the um, there was some trouble, there was a bit of a bidding war, which isn't great because mm. we don't want people, you know, inflating the market unnecessarily where rents are already so expensive. Yeah. But, um, but, yeah, I have heard of that happening. Unfortunately, just with the realities of everything that's going on at the moment is um, uh, sad but not unusual is probably what I'd say. Um, so going on to, I guess, the, the actual signs themselves, um, kind of what goes into their, their, their make, I guess, how they tend to be made, um, mm. and do we see any, um, I guess, pushback, particularly from landlords, um, as to the, whether the quality's any good or not? There have been, there have been some landlords that have um, talked with their students about the signs, like there was a there was a student years ago. He's no longer a student anymore, but he set up a little business making signs, where he would he would make them to the student's design mm-hmm. with input from the landlord. Yep, so it was kind of cool. A lot of his signs got stolen because they yep. were so so good. Was that um, sorry? That was um, the guy from yeah. Pixflat. Um, yeah, Jasper. Jasper. Well, funny yeah. story again. <laughs> you don't know uh, him. Do you? All, all three of those guys. I went to Arana with them. Um, no way! So I saw that that's picture. So I was like, funny. I know those guys. That's classic. Oh, that's so Dunedin. Yeah, yeah. It was a bit like oh, Dunedin, uh, or even just New Zealand, very small. Yeah, 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 yeah for sure. Um, so yeah, yeah, so his signs were, um, I guess, quite a lot more professional than perhaps some others that had been made. Yeah, yeah. Um, there are some landlords too. Uh, one in particular that I can think of who has just taken the initiative and created signs and put them on their flats, Mm. which is interesting. And I don't know if that's made them more successful in getting tenants. Um, It's kind of interesting. It's sort of appropriating the student culture. Yeah. So is this this signs that landlords, they've kind of named the flat themselves rather Mm. than, than, I guess, taking the name it already has and just being like, I'll just make a sign for it. They've got to name it themselves. Yes, yes. Mm. And, you know, quite generic looking signs. Yeah. So, you know, it kind of loses that. Uh, you can tell immediately. Well, at least I can, but maybe that's because, you know, I'm used yeah. to looking at these things. Yep. It's very apparent to me that it's not a student creation. Yeah. Yeah. I see. But in terms of materials, this is something that has always fascinated me too, and it has changed over time. So, um, you know, all kinds of bewildering array of materials used to create signs from headboards of single beds which used to be a lot more available than they are now because we used to have a lot of second-hand dealers in Dunedin that students would buy their furniture from Mm -hmm. and um, so yeah bed heads um, surfboards Mm. skateboards whiteboards um, bits of wood yep uh, broken down beer crates classic (laughs) yeah Air boxes, cupboard doors, actual yep. doors. Yep. <laughs> uh, sometimes stolen, um, you know, reinterpreted sign, road signs. Mm-hmm. We've seen a few of those. Yeah. 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 So all kinds of interesting materials have been used. Yeah. yeah. Just kind of whatever students can get kind of their hands on, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And, um, you know, certainly, I mean, more people have cars mm. now. But you know, limited limited access to resources or being able to you know get to the hardware hardware shop to 
buy materials yep. just means you won't do with what yeah, you've got. Absolutely. Yeah. Where that might be, you know, a vivid on a bit of cardboard or it might be a bit of insulation tape, um, you know, adding some extra letters to a road sign or, um, yeah. That, that's re- yeah, mm. there was something I found really interesting was just all the the weird things that people kind of cobble together mm. almost. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah, spray painted on a couch yep. outside the flat. Yeah, yep. yep. very mm. classic as well. Um, so, uh, yeah, so a lot of the flats, um, something that I found really interesting was that a lot of the flats were built um, in the late 19th and early 20th century. There's not been a huge amount of ones that have been built sort of more recently than that, really, which I think is actually probably not... Um, unique to Dunedin in that regard um, in terms of the rest of the country Mm. Um, and primarily they haven't had a huge amount of renovation since then Um, and so now we've got of course this healthy home standard is coming into effect soonish if it hasn't already Um, and do you think that will change flatting in general and how named flats are named because of course a lot of these flats are named for the fact that they're cold um, and that sort of stuff. Yeah. Do you think that's going to have an effect, not not just in the mm. general effect of obviously people are going to have a better flat, but just the culture yeah. and the and that sort of thing? Yeah, well, it might do. Yeah, it could do. It's hard to say. Um, yeah, certainly the, um, the types of names that, you know, evoke the environment of the place mm. may change for sure. Yeah. Um, might not get any more castle of crap shacks or, yeah. <laughs> or kelp fish or yeah. the palace. We might yeah. not, yeah, we might not have so many of those, but that wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing. Um, yeah. yeah, the in terms of new builds, um, I mean, there are some streets where I'm noticing that the old places are definitely going. You know, Grain mm. Street, Hyde Street, a lot of those old old workers' cottages. Um, mm. are disappearing and also between um, say Cumberland and Castle Street over the years there's definitely been sort of infill housing going on and back sections and, and that kind of mm. thing too and I think you know with the government's recent um, opening up of um, regulations that we may see more of that infill housing yeah but hopefully hopefully mm. people will treasure the you know late 19th century and early 20th century housing stock because that does give us a real feeling or place yeah yeah it's a it's a it's a yeah something that struck me i guess that again when i went back in august that was that i hadn't expected was um having lived in wellington now for about three years is the vibe that dunedin gives just from its architecture um and the flats and just the the um mm. even larger buildings as well uh, you know it yeah. just it has a vibe and, and a particular feeling when you're walking around mm. that isn't quite the same compared to other um even yeah. other cities in the south island it's just yeah it's got its own sort of thing going on yeah yeah definitely definitely yeah and you know and there's really good environmental um considerations for thinking about about that as well mm. yeah yeah definitely yeah. Don't want to be chucking all that stuff in landfill. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and so kind of, again, in a similar vein, how do you see kind of flat and culture and naming flats changing uh, going forward, um, particularly mm-hmm. because the university has taken 
um this is a bit more longer term but in you know the last sort of 20 or 30 years it's taken a much harder stance on alcohol and um mm. couch burning is the, the yep. one that people usually turn to um yeah. and you know it's brought up pubs um as well, mm-hmm. turn them into study spaces. The the big one being um, Gardies down by the Botanic yep. Gardens. Um, yep. My mum was very disappointed when she learned that that had shut down when I went to uni. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, so how do you you know in light of those things, how do you see kind of flat naming and flat flat and culture changing going forward? Yeah, well, I think, um, and again, this is anecdotally, uh, but also actually, I think the statistics are showing that young people are drinking less than their mm. predecessors. And that's a good thing for everyone's health, yep. mental health, physical health, long-term health. Mm. Um, you know, the the cost of living is so high. I mean, I've heard of some people paying 70% of their income mm. on their rent, which is insane. So people can't actually afford to piss up a lot. So it could, there, there could be a number of drivers there. I think people are more health conscious. Young people yep. are more health conscious too than their predecessors. Um, the thing that does concern me is where um, houses are being turned into studio flats. Mm. And I know that for some people that's going to suit them living in a studio flat, but it does worry me with our mental health statistics and our terrible suicide rate that um and particularly you know when we're in you know a pandemic situation you end up with a lot of young people living alone and being unsupported and um so that concerns me and of course you know as a byproduct of that that sort of thing is um going to mean that you know those people aren't going to be the people that are naming flats Mm. um i see that very much as a output of a strong household a strong community and yeah, friendships definitely. and that sort of thing and you know the uh, university the university or polytech lifestyle is more than just getting an education it's mm. about you know growing yourself as a person and having good home life experiences with flatmates i think is um yep. is just as important as what you come out you know the ticket that you come out with at the other end yeah yeah certainly yeah, no, it's, it's uh, there's a one thing that I've always told people, you know, when younger people ask me, should I go to university? It's kind of like, it's not necessarily about the piece of paper you get at the end. Um, you know, people that I met at university, I still have around weekly to play Dungeons and Dragons with, you know, oh. and that's, oh. that's um, yeah, I haven't been at uni, I haven't lived in Dunedin for nearly 10 years now. So, yeah. you know, that's... Um, you know, it's 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 those other aspects as well that you mm. get, those other experiences, those other people that you meet. Um, that is really the yeah, like the meat of it, I guess. I mm. mean, I at this point, um, I couldn't care less about the the very expensive piece of paper that I've got on my wall. Um, mm. you know? yeah. um, it's more about the people that you meet and the, those experiences that you have. So it's yeah. definitely, yeah, definitely more about that and, and that mm. sort of thing. So yeah, so I guess to kind of round it out. Um, something I always ask people that I interview because it always generates very interesting stories um, is what has been your favorite aspect of researching this topic or is there a particular story from your research that particularly stands out to you? I know we kind of talked that a little bit before, um, but yeah, more broadly, is there anything that kind of that you that sticks out to you as your favorite? Oh, look, I have just loved the process, really. I've loved the process of hunting and finding and detecting 
that's what I and I'm just super super privileged that that's actually my job now mm. as well um, but I think one of the most memorable things about doing the book was um, how much it meant to people and um, yeah some of them were just incredibly touched and grateful to have their story told mm. and um, yeah I think that's one of the one of the things that's really stayed with me and will continue to stay with me. Yeah. That I'm really, really proud of having done this. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. No, as I said, it's, it's one of my favorite books in my collection, if not the favorite now. Oh, well, thanks Thomas. That really means a lot. It is. Yeah. I think it's fantastic. Um, so I highly recommend anyone listening, if you are interested in um, this particular uh, subject or just Dunedin, you know, you went to Dunedin um, for uni or anything like that. I cannot recommend this book highly enough. It is, um, yeah, just absolutely phenomenal, full of some really good stories. Even if you didn't go to Otago, it's full of some really funny and kind of interesting uh, stories. So, so yeah, I I got mine from Mighty Ape, but I know that there's other places as well that you can purchase it from. So if you are interested, it's... um... Look, you can get it directly from me, actually, and I will sign it and write a message in it and... It will have a Dunedin City of Literature sticker on it. And, um, yeah, so people can get directly in touch with me if they want to buy a copy. Awesome. That's a great segue into the last question. If people want to find you and know more about and see more of what you're doing, how do they find you? Okay, well, I'm on uh, Facebook at DN Flat Names and also Instagram. And the website is dunedinflatnames.co.nz. Cool. Awesome. Um, so yeah, with that, again, thank you very much for coming on and talking to me about uh, flats and students and all that sort of stuff. Um, it's always really nice to talk to people who know a lot more than me um, about <laughs> what you've what you've discovered and that sort of stuff, and also share it with all the listeners as well, who I'm sure appreciate um, having your expertise and knowledge um, brought onto onto the show. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks so much for the invite, Thomas. It's been awesome fun. Thank you again to Sarah for coming on and talking to me all about flats and student flatting culture in Dunedin. It's something that is quite nostalgic and close to my heart, so I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. As we mentioned, if you would like to purchase Sarah's book, Scarfy Flats of Dunedin, you can purchase online or from good bookstores in Aotearoa. Or you can contact Sarah directly on Facebook if you'd like it signed by her. I know I've said it a few times, but I'll say it again, I absolutely adore this book. Even if you aren't connected to Dunedin or its student culture, there are some great stories in there for everyone to enjoy. If you want to send me feedback, ask a question, suggest a topic, or just have a chinwag, you can find my email and social media on historyaltiroa.com. Aotearoa spelt A-O-T-E-A-R-O-A. You can also find helpful resources there, like transcripts, sources, and translations for some of the Te Reo Māori we have used. You can help support Hans through Patreon, buying merch, or giving us a review. It means a lot, and helps spread the story of Aotearoa New Zealand. As always, haere tu atu, hoki tu mai. See you next time. <laughs>